Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. Not your usual episode today. Dylan and I have a special episode planned for you this week. Uh, Instead of Dylan and I going on and on about the fantasy this, book that, friends this, we have a very special collaboration with one of our favorite fantasy podcasts, Wizards, Warriors, and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. We've had the pleasure of knowing Jed Hearn, Rob Hayes, Michael Fletcher, and Dirk Ashton through Twitter, and we've also just been huge fans of their podcast. Each episode, they discuss a topic related to writing, editing, publishing, and marketing fantasy books. Between all of them, they have over 30 novels published, and that's through traditional and self-published routes. So you're bound to find new insights to improve your writing, or at least hear a couple of great friends talking about fantasy. Uh, I know that very recently they've released two episodes with Joe Abercrombie himself, one about the first law and the other about the age of madness, and they're super insightful and interesting, and that's only the beginning. These guys are the real deal. They go deep in with tons of author interviews. They're always launching their own fantasy books and games and any other kind of project you can imagine, so their insight into the fantasy genre and into writing is super valuable. I mean, if you're a fan of us, you definitely got to check these guys out. Their perspective from a professional standpoint is unmatched. So with that being said, uh, we've got an episode of theirs that we'll be sharing for you guys today. It's their interview with none other than John Gwynn. We've worked, collaborated with the brothers Gwynn several times, and we've had the pleasure of discussing the shadow of the gods and the hunger of the gods on this show. We're huge John Gwynn fans, so super excited to share this interview with you guys, and we hope you enjoy it. And if you like it, check out Wizards, Warriors, and Words, wherever podcasts can be found. They also have their website, Wizards, Warriors, Words.com. That's Wizards, Warriors, warriorswords.com. Enjoy and go forth and conquer, friends. Hello and welcome to Wizards, Warriors and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, author of Thunder Heist, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, starting with Dirk. I am Dirk Ashton, and I really wish I would have written this because it's <laughs> He's holding up Malice by John Gwynn. Uh, also joined by Rob. Hi, I'm I'm uh, I'll be Michael R. Fletcher today. You know what? Why not? Uh, and uh, I I also wrote Malice uh, and Valor <laughs> and Ruin and Wrath. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, uh, Mike. I guess that makes me Rob Hayes, and I'm realizing that my uh, office turns into a sauna in the summer if I close the door, because it is <laughs> balls in here. Holy crap. <laughs> and and he's in, like, the North Pole. Yeah, I reckon. Pole, Next yeah. to Santa's workshop. <laughs> he's in Santa's workshop. He is he Santa. Is an elf. Makes sense. <laughs> oh, God, my car picture is Santa. That's never going to go well. Yeah, Christmas is canceled, guys. Room dark Christmas. Uh, and we are joined today by a very special guest, John Gwynn. John, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for the invite. It's great to be here. And you have a new book out. Yes. I do. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm but I don't even have it here. But um, Shadow of the Gods. Yeah, Shadow of the Gods. It's got that amazing dragon in that little bitty guy. <laughs> oh, that, that cover, that promises. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's the fact that it's the dragon like extends that. onto the back cover as well that really gets me. I'm like, me yes. too. <laughs> yeah. I've, got that, I've got that on order now. I was like, shit, I should have ordered it last week. <laughs> no worries. Just a little spoiler. Well, not really a spoiler, but a little, just a little giveaway. The guy on the front of the cover that you just mentioned is actually a woman. Oh! Oh, yeah. oh <laughs> even better. I thought you were going to spoil it by saying there isn't actually a dragon in the story. <laughs> yeah, not at all. No, there's no dragons in this book. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people don't catch that this is actually a woman on the front of my last book too yeah, war of gods the last so, paternus book yeah written by john gwynn so it's actually <laughs> um, um, also <laughs> super quick thing before we get into this episode speaking of covers both myself and rob have had our covers shortlisted for mark lawrence's self-published fantasy book off um, basically if you don't know what it is 300 independently published books enter this thing one wins the award for like best written book but then there's also a separate best cover design award um which they choose 30 covers on the shortlist and then the public vote so i'll put a link in the show notes but if you want to check out the other shortlisted entries uh, i've got the thunder heist up there rob has got along the razor's edge um yeah you can vote for your favorite book it doesn't have to be one of ours but we would appreciate it you can vote somebody for, in the- <laughs> vote for all your favorite covers you can actually somebody in this group actually won the spfbo one year that's right, Rob did. And no, Mike no, got... it wasn't me. Yeah, 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 it was. We don't, we don't like Rob. <laughs> it's the year after I was in when I took third. That's it. And then Mike got second. So we've got all. Yeah, at least I places. didn't get third. No, nope. third. Mike I mean, that's. <laughs> I totally even what talking about. Uh, anyway, but yes, we have John on today, and uh, we thought we'd talk a bit about characters because John, you've had some pretty high praise for the characterization in your books. Um, so we were wondering, like, where do you kind of start when it comes to designing your characters? Are they sort of one of the, the main first sources of inspiration that comes to you when you're writing a novel or is it the world? What is your, are you sort of thinking about when you're developing your characters? Uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to be self-analytical like that, but um, I think it's, it's not as organised as it is probably going to sound it's more of a, just a big mess in my head that's that starts to become untangled uh, the, the more I work through it so I'm I'm really thinking about all of it at the same time you know I'm not, I don't kind of think right I'm thinking about characters now and I'm thinking about world building it's just all going on in, in my head at the same time um, I often kind of start with with a spark for the story so um, so for example uh, the my latest book, The Shadow of the Gods, which is a Norse-inspired trilogy, the spark for that was reading um, the Poetic Edda. There's a book in there called the Voluspa or the Seeress's Prophecy, and there's um, a, a, it's just a beautiful little passage at the end of that, a few couple of paragraphs where it's talking about Ragnarok, you know, that end of days battle with the Norse gods, and um, and at the end of it, all the gods are dead. You know, there's there's a few survivors, and then out of the ashes rises this dragon. Um, Nithoga, who is who is um, kind of locked up in chambers beneath Yggdrasil, the world tree, and the passage, the, C- the CRS, 
Um, Voluspa describes this dragon emerging from the ashes and rising into the air, and there are corpses hanging from his wings. And uh, and I read that, and I kind of sat back and thought, wow, that's cool. And then I thought, I wonder what happened next. You know, and that was kind of the, that was the spark that started this this whole trilogy rolling, you know. Um, but at the same time, obviously, you're thinking about a story, to, an original story to tell. You're thinking about characters to um, to view though that story from. So, so very often with my characters, I'll I'll come up with a series of events, a rough series of events that, of events that I'm thinking about um, fitting into the story, and then and and then I'll start thinking about what kind of what perspective would make these events the most interesting they can be, or the most exciting or engaging. That's, that's usually my process for for um for for starting for to build my characters. In saying that, I don't do it like that every time. So, for example, there's a there's a, I like to play around with tropes a little bit. Um, you know, I like tropes. Some people think they're a swear word, but um, I think you know they tropes are tropes for a reason. You know, because we we all can they're, they're relatable and, and so on. But I think the important thing is that you try and give them a fresh spin maybe subvert them, um, just try and do something original and contemporary with them. That, that, that's um, the important thing uh, for me. So I was thinking there's the trope that I've, I've wanted to write for a long time, which is that um, retired person of violence. You know, so like um, William Money in uh, Unforgiven, you know, Clint Eastwood. Or um, or Logan, you know, in the Logan movie, something like some, you know, David Gemmell wrote many characters like that. Who, he's one of my favourite um, inspirational writers. So I wanted I wanted to do something with that kind of trope. And I remember talking to my agent um, Julie Crisp about very early on in before I'd written anything really, just talking about ideas. And we were talking backwards and forwards. And during the conversation, it came out that why don't you try. Um, switching the gender and making this put because usually this character that trope is written as a male so mm. I've written it as a female um, and that's where Orca came from and she was really kind of writing the heart of the story from the very beginning so um you know I, I think character work it's it there's no given set rules are there with writing we all know you know you you just we just kind of fight stumble our own way through mm. it and find our own way and it's usually just um, a combination or a synthesis of lots of different ideas and lots of different approaches. And it's just what works for you. So very often I'll write characters um, that, that I, I think will be able to tell events well, but sometimes I'll just come up with one that, you know, becomes kind of a heart of the story before I've even started anything else. So it, 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 it you know, it's, there's, there's a few different ways I approach it. But, um, Hopefully they come out all right. I never feel I never feel I always feel too close to my writing to really know if they've come out well or not. So I just leave that to they they to do. Trust me, they do. Thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest, one of the things I wanted to ask you was um like how how well do you plan the character development? Um, because having read the the Faithful and the Fallen uh series, um what I found was by the end of the first book, I was like this is good epic fantasy. There's a hell of a lot of characters. I'm not sure, like, you know, where all of them are going to fit in. But then there was sometime during the, the second book where I suddenly realised that I was invested in every single character because of the, the sheer amount of development that you were putting them through. 
like e even the bad guys, the, the villains, I was invested in them because I wanted to see them die. Um, <laughs> but, and uh, that was because you kept seeing them sort of like change and develop as the story went on. So like, how much planning do you actually put into, into that development? I mean, that's brilliant to hear you say that, Rob. Thank you, mate. That, I really, I'm really pleased about that. But the, the honest answer is, is um, not much. It, it's more like, it's more like I'll, I, I'll um, once I get my characters together, I, I, I do spend some time thinking about their backstories and their psychology, you know, and um, the kind of people they are. And then it's a bit like, um, because I'm kind of, I'm not really, I'm really in between the gardener and the architect, you know, I, I do a bit of both. So I'll, I'll, I'll do my architectural work in, in terms of events for the story. And then it's a bit like um, painting, you know, it's like joining the dots. So I'll have my, my, my kind of timeline of events roughly worked out and I'll have my characters worked out with their backstories. And then it's just like letting them loose you know, like, um, like, like, uh, like dog racing, you know, you just, the, the, <laughs> the cages come Open up. Open the gates and see who wins. <laughs> and the dogs all come out and I just kind of see where they go. And I, for me, the, the most important thing is just to try and be true to kind of the, the character profiles that I've come up with. And in, in the events that they find themselves trying to put, put yourself in their place and make the decisions that they would make under those conditions. Um, that, that's really how I, uh, once I've started writing, that's how I work out my characters. So I don't really spend a lot of time thinking ahead to book, you know, in, to book two and book three or book four about, about their character arcs. I just hope that they feel authentic and realistic as they're going through, you know, all the, all the, the very unpleasant things that I hurl at them. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think uh, Macquin, for one, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, is definitely, he went through some, some shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he again, see, he, that's an interesting one you mentioned, because a lot of, lot of people, he, he tends to be a, a, one of the favourites from um, that series that I hear about. But I hadn't even originally planned him as a point of view when I wrote Malice. Um, he was with another character, and my... my um, agent Julie Crisp who was my editor then uh, she she read the first draft of Malice and she was like you've killed a lot of people at the end of this book but I think <laughs> she said but I think you could probably kill some more <laughs> so I said okay I'll have a think about that and I and so I killed a character who I was going to continue with in book two and the POV torch kind of passed from that character to Macquinn so that when he became a POV, he was going to still, he was going to, you know, be going through the same things, but not. I wasn't going to write him as a, an actual point of view. So that's kind of a good example of how organic the writing process can be, I suppose. Well, yeah. What and also to questions? listen to your editor when they say to kill people. <laughs> exactly, yeah, you should always listen to your editor. Most of the time. <laughs> Um, John, what kind of questions are you asking yourself to sort of flesh out those backstories for your characters? Um, well, you, uh, you know, when you're writing, you try to be mindful that you don't want to write the same character. Um, so you just want to want to come up with um, things that are unique and some, and also just um, kind of a personality profile that if you have two people going through the same thing, that they would both react differently. 
I think, you know, things like that are, are important to me. So, um, you know, their family backgrounds, their kind of, their, their moral compass, um, ambition, uh, what's important to them, all those kind of questions are, are what I, I'm jotting down and thinking about as, as, as I'm fleshing out my characters. I think yeah, Dirk's okay. muted. Oh wait, Dirk's <laughs> he's speaking. I can see Dirk yeah, speaking. I can see his mouth moving. This, uh, this is the best we've ever had him. I know. <laughs> Always I swear gone. I haven't muted Dirk. What's happening? <laughs> um, sorry, this is Dirk. how professional we are. Yeah. One of us is, doesn't even know it. Uh, let me see if I can press some buttons to magically make it work. Um, Come <laughs> Dirk, type your you... question, Dirk. We'll ask yeah, you type your you. question. That's a good idea. Type <laughs> your question using the chat feature, which is just down the bottom of Zoom. If you put your mouse down the bottom where it says chat next to share screen, and then just type it in there. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a shambles. Um, <laughs> okay, while we're waiting for that, um, John, how do you make minor characters interesting? Like when they don't get a lot of screen time, you know, they're not, maybe they don't even have a point of view, how do you still make them kind of interesting and compelling characters for, yeah, people to read about? Any sort of tricks or, or the like, I suppose, to I mean, these are good questions. somebody? It's stuff that I don't actually consciously think about. So I'm trying to kind of work it out as you ask me the question. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I always try to write something where there's, there's a, um, kind of a camaraderie and a banter between um, groups of people. Um, you know, friendship and family are always kind of big, big themes for me. And I think, you know, when, especially amongst friendships, um, you've always got that, that kind of deep personal, uh, there's a banter going on between you where, um, you know, you may, may love your, your mates, but uh, the way you speak to them might not actually reflect that, you know, it's, um, and so. <laughs> Especially if, you're the, if they're your best friend, it's like, you speak yeah. to your best friend a little bit differently to most people. It's like, it yeah. can be quite sort of pointed, but you're still friends. Yeah, I mean, just look at you guys, you know, <laughs> the way you guys are chatting to each other. But so I, I We're think tame it's just... today, John. <laughs> you should see us some other times. It's brutal. <laughs> So that, I mean, that's all I'm, I'm usually looking for is just something that, that feels uh, a little bit individual and unique, uh, a little bit quirky and, and then kind of taking those tropes. So you always with, with your side characters, you know, you might have the mentor or you'll, you'll have the friends and, and um, you know, usually one of them's a big guy, one of them's a, a slim guy and they have personality traits. But I just try and move them away from the tropes and, so that they feel realistic and and I think of them really as, as, as if um, these guys were kind of hanging out at the pub together. What, what would be the kind of chat they were having? You know, that, so, so those are kind of the thoughts that, I'm, that I often have going through the, the back of my mind as I'm writing characters, even though they're, they're usually not sitting in a pub, they, they might be um, standing in a shield wall or something. <laughs> but, you know, that kind of familiarity amongst friends, um, and amongst enemies, you know, uh, the the way you'd, the um, the reactions can, can um, dominate how you respond. So you know the the fight or flight instincts and that kind of thing are quite strong 
mm-hmm. in the human race, aren't they? And you can either freeze up or you can um or you can swell your chest and or you can just get on with it, be quiet and get on with it. There's all these different kind of reactions. I I just try I try and make sure that I never give the two different characters the same kind of personality traits so that they don't feel the same. You know, that that's one of the, the main things I, I do make an effort to try and do so that the characters that are, are in there have their own kind of unique voice, if you like. So um, they're memorable. And how do you... Oh, sorry. I don't know if you guys, can you guys hear me now? <laughs> yes, nope. Dirk, we can hear you now. Yeah. That's a good uh, job. I like that. Somehow I got this little thing, the mic got turned off. I was just going to ask <laughs> how many, how, how much, how many, with a cast like you have, two things how many notes do you put down mm. as far as the number of characters because you've got a ton of characters and i ran into the same thing with my books um and also how, i know it comes you, you think of main characters and main PO, povs but i kind of always end up starting with like icons you know tropes you know like you've got your uh main character which has certain characteristics and might be a little naive or neurotic or then they need to have a buddy character right they need to have a mentor character there needs to be bad guys and bad guy minions do you do you kind of lay out something like that before you get started and how many notes do you take on each one as far as their character traits yeah yeah definitely Uh, i think as the books have gone on, the the notes started um, when I wrote Malice. I had folders, you know, but now it's it's um, it's just a lot more concise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you f- you just feel like you, you get comfortable with what you're doing. Um, so yeah, I definitely do that. Um, and um, so for the later series, the Bloodsworn Saga, I've got a. Uh, I've got a doc, you know, I've just got a document that I call Blood Swan Saga Research, and basically everything's in there, all my characters, all my names, places, um, all the source kind of references that I've used. It's all in just this one document. And so um as to how big it is, it's um it's probably a for for characterization, a few four or five pages, something like that. Oh, that's that's good. Much better than my hundreds. I have a, uh, a few pages um, and most of it is just keeping track of things that I will otherwise forget like you know eye colour if I've mentioned the character's eye colour I have to make yep. a note of it or otherwise it will change yes. yep. <laughs> yep. you know it's funny you should say that because I'm, I'm uh, I've just written book two in the series and I spent so much time flicking back to remind myself of what characters were wearing, hair color, eye color, you know, any distinguishing kind of physical marks that, that favorite, I I'm, favorite I'm weapon. Only, I'm only catching up to this now, which is ridiculous, you know, yeah. eight books in. And um yeah, I do the same so thing. Literally yesterday I was I was just going through book one and writing and writing down all those kind of characteristical um descriptions so that when I get to book three I won't. I won't waste half half of the time flicking through book one and two. Yes. I uh, I have to keep a list of names because I'm I'm terrible at names in general. I remember people's faces, but I t- I have to meet someone and talk to them like 
a dozen times before I remember names <laughs> usually. Um, but uh, Dirk Ashton, that's what in, we do. In, in books, it's even worse because I just, I don't remember what they're, I mean, and I'm in the books I'm writing now, I'm using like, um, you know, like, uh, like the, whatever the thing is called in the middle of the name, like uh, uh, Mon, you know, or San or, or as in, in Abercrombie uses Dan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've got a ton of those and I just don't remember what they are. So I constantly have to refer, <laughs> refer back. Yeah, no, notes are really helpful. Yeah, my main character's mother's name. I keep forgetting it. So I have to go back. I have that open so I can look right away. Oh, yeah. So I don't have to put brackets mom, mom's name. Yeah. No. Oh, there, you've got to do that. You have your placeholders where you're like, I, I occasionally oh, just have like. Everywhere. In, in bold, just bold and caps, just name. Because yeah. I've completely yeah. forgotten yep. it. Or I have to make it yep. up or something. Exactly. And they make it, <laughs> they make it into like the... Um, into my alpha and beta drafts and so many yeah. times i get feedback from one of my, my readers who just come back um, um i don't know about this name and it's like it's just name it's like yeah no. <laughs> that. yeah yeah I'm very that's why uh, beta reader it's like uh, you know i always put those in brackets <laughs> so i can search them and fix them later Ugh. I've been using a, um, a software recently because, yeah, like John, as you were saying, we're trying to keep track of everything. Like I realized that with the, the series I'm about to write, it's going to be yeah mental to try to keep track of everything. So I just started using this software called WickedPad, which I think Brandon Sanderson uses for his like internal continuity stuff. And it's been a yeah. little tricky to, to first get, but like it's really useful because you basically just like type in a name of a character and then it automatically creates a page for it where you can put details down for that character and you can link it to everything else and yeah so hopefully that will mean that i don't have to run into the same issue of yeah yeah there are a lot like of two hundred thousand word <laughs> book just to get the eye color of a character being so organized yet yeah there, no. <laughs> there, are, there are a lot there are a lot of nifty toys to mm. use in right what is the software program everybody loves that i terrify scrivener, scrivener. Do you, that's what you use isn't it yep used it a bit in the and past. that keeps yeah. do you use anything like that john what do you write in I used to write, I, I started with Scrivener and um, I just, after a while, I felt like I wasn't really using it the way it should be used. So I just went back to Word. So I just That's do everything in Word do. now. Yeah. Exact and same I, thing happened to me. Yeah. I used it for a yeah, couple of books and then I was like, I don't need all this extra functionality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I probably do need it, but I don't, I'm, ter I'm such a slow writer anyway. I'm terrified of taking the time to learn how to use it. Yeah. And I've heard about weird bugs and stuff about trying to export. So I just, I'm no, I'm sticking with word. I'm sticking with John Gwynn and, uh, and Joe Abercrombie. Just write it in word. You know what? Stick, Martin, stick though, with George R. R. In... Martin instead. Go yeah. back to DOS. Yeah, exactly. From like the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, Mike, do you have any, any questions for John about characters before we wrap up this episode, which we probably will do soonish? Uh, not, you know, characters, not so much. I, I actually threw up a thing on a Twitter, just asking if there were any sort of fan questions. Mm. Uh, and one came up totally gun character related, but frankly, I never stay on topic anyway. That's fine. Um, so, uh, they said that, uh, you uh, came to writing John, like fairly late in life in your thirties, which frankly really fucking upset me. Cause that's not late. No, uh, it's and, not late. No. And, and what are you talking about? Me, um, that's a lifetime away. <laughs> 
<laughs> and they asked sort of what had changed in the industry and in the sort of like the writing environment and basically what had what's changed you know what what's changed what have you seen you know since then when you were ancient in your 30s hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so i started writing in my 30s but i didn't get um a publishing deal until uh, closer to 40 um 2010 i got my my first deal and I started writing in 2002. Um, I remember that because I just got home with the family from watching the Two Towers at the cinema. And movie. we were all sitting around the table and just, so just for a bit of backstory, um, uh, so for some context, I, I used to teach at um, a local university and I was studying, moving on to do my PhD there. But my daughter Harriet's profoundly disabled um, she has epilepsy and all, uh, all kinds of other things. So um, she was going through a particularly bad patch. So I stepped out of um, uni and studying to um, to help my wife at home and we, we were her carers. And so um, during that kind of period, um, I started thinking I could do with a do with a hobby at home. You know, something I can do that, that I can do from home. And so so then um, we. We went to see uh, the two towers at the cinema. Came back and I said, "Oh, you should try giving writing a go." And I was like, "No, don't be silly. You know, you need things like well, talent for a start, and plot, <laughs> and that kind of thing." I, I wouldn't know where to start. And then, then um, two, two of my boys heard the conversation and they got into it and they're like, "Oh, go on, Dad, give it a go." So it, I started to think, oh, "Okay, well, actually, that might be fun." So. Um, so that's where I that's when I started, and it was in two thousand and two, the end I think, and um, and that's when I started working on Malice because I'd not written anything creatively up to that point. I mean, I read until books were coming out of my ears, you know, but I'd never thought of making the leap to write. So that's when I started, and, and it was just as a hobby, you know, in the bedroom, and I was really just thinking of of my audience being my wife and and children. But the, and malice was the foot was the and the the um the faithful and the fallen was what I, what I started working on, so time it was it was quite strange. Because, I mean, looking back now, the thing that's changed the most, I think, to answer the actual question, Michael. Sorry, mate, I was digressing a bit there. But to answer the question, the thing that I think has changed the most is is um is the internet, social media. You know, it's it's um it's brilliant now. You know, where you we we can do things like this. Um, it when I started writing it felt quite I mean the internet was going but um maybe it was just me but it was if if it, it, it didn't it felt quite isolated being a writer you know it still does sometimes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah for in sure. your office or wherever you write and you just you're completely on your own and cut off from yeah. the rest of the world it, it certainly can yeah yeah but Unless I, you I have think a suit of armor behind you which has its own sentience and gives you advice <laughs> when you're writing scenes inaccurately <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I, well, I remember I was at Forbidden Planet a few years ago um, for like a book launch, and one of the the guys that that uh, the the manager at the shop in the day said that you know they always love doing signings, but they see a lot 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 fewer people turning up to signings since the internet has really taken off because mm. so many people would go to ask you know similar questions to we're chatting about today. You know, um, uh, budding writers wanted to yeah. ask. Um, um, you know, professional writers, these questions or published or, and you don't get as much of that now because they can just DM you. you know? yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 
but you get people turning up if they want their book signed, but but not so much because they, you know, they want to pick your brain because they can do that on the internet. So the that's good, really changed massively. The good, the good, the good thing that's come out of that is that, uh, yeah, the signings and stuff are are much smaller, but the cons, the conferences have grown because more people yeah. hear about them, more people know about them. And, you know, you go to those things and the lines for the signings at those things are endless. And the, and yeah. the panels, if, if authors people like are on the panels, they just pack full um, and have to turn people away. So, I mean, those, those are still hopping. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's probably because of the internet, because more people find out about them and hear about them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's cool. Yeah, the, the thing I'm taking away from your this. first book, the first thing you wrote. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> that's insane. I was it thinking, blows me away. And I, yeah, me too. Because when I read that, I was reading that as like this is a really mature writer who's been doing this for a long time. <laughs> I had no idea no. that that was your first that that could have possibly been come out of someone's mind who had never actually thought about doing fantasy creative writing before like, here's my I mean, I'm, book. I'm, I'm blown away yeah well it went through a big edit <laughs> still, <laughs> still. still bloody good i, I think we're all united in, in in this when we say "Ooh, we hate you but in a very jealousy rob what are you talking about not envy yeah it's, a, it's 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 a very loving hate Yes, yes. That's it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, um, I think we'll probably uh, put a pause to this conversation there. We're going to have John back again for an episode, maybe next week, maybe a week after. Not sure how these are going to come out. Um, but thank you for everyone for listening to this episode. Oh, John, tell us quickly about uh, your latest book, Shadow of. Is it The Shadow of Gods? Is that correct? The Shadow of the Shadow Gods. Of yeah. So that's book one of a, uh, a trilogy called The Bloodsworn Saga. It's a very, um, very much Norse inspired tale um inspired from my kind of right from my childhood love for norse mythology um viking era history and of you know and, and as an adult i'm a viking reenactor so all of those kind of passions are, are thrown into the pot in this series and stirred up so i hope um i hope that it feels very norse and very fantastical um i spent a lot of time researching kind of uh, uh norse mythology but i didn't want it to feel like it's just this book about Thor and Odin and Loki, you know. So I've 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 come up with my own pantheon pantheon of gods that hopefully kind of tip the hat to those guys, but um but uh, hopefully it feels like it's a, a fresh take as well. I spent a lot of time looking into um, Norse mythology, Viking era history, Scandinavian folklore, and I'd say that this this book uh, called Vasen by Johan Egerkranz was a, a real goldmine for the book. So it, it, there's a lot of kind of lesser known Norse creatures um, that I found in there that, uh, that um, I had a lot of fun slipping into, into, into the tale. Um, and it's, it's um, hopefully Please. it feels like, um, sorry, that's by Johan Egerkranz. Okay. Egg. I'm Go gonna ahead. put a. I'll put a note for that, like a link to that book in the show notes. So if you guys are interested in checking that out, you can. Uh, so I'm ordering it today. <laughs> I just wait. wrote it down. Dirk likes myths. Who would have thought? Um, I think we can no. actually we can actually use this as an opportunity to tease our next episode because I think the next episode we'll be getting into some more 
um, Viking myths and, and folklore and reenactment because uh, we have two Viking reenactors on this podcast. So stick around and you'll find out which one the other two. one is. Well, maybe a former, <laughs> a former Viking reenactor. A, a, like, like John was saying, you know, a, a man of violence who has retired from the game but has to get back into it. <laughs> score. All right. Uh, John, thank you for joining the show and thank you everybody thank for you, listening or watching. See you guys. Thanks for the invite, guys. Great to be here.